Good morning, everyone. It's time for another edition of Transformation Radio. Surrender my life to Christ 
And now it's time for a reading in the New Testament. And today the narrative comes from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 22 through 39. Here's a brief overview of some of what we'll be reading about here today in the New Testament. The Sea of Galilee, actually a large lake, is even today the scene of fierce storms, sometimes with waves as high as 20 feet, which is very threatening when you're in a small boat. Now Jesus' disciples were not frightened without cause. Even though several of them were expert fishermen and knew how to handle a boat, their peril was real. When caught in the storms of life, it's easy to think that God has lost control and that we're at the mercy of the winds of fate. In reality, God is sovereign. He controls the history of the world as well as our personal destiny. Just as Jesus calmed the waves, He can calm whatever storms you may face. Now, a man had been freed from the devil's power, but the people in the town thought only about their livestock. People have always tended to value financial gain above needy people. Much injustice and oppression, both at home and abroad, is the direct result of some individuals or companies' urge to get rich. People are continually being sacrificed to the God of money. Don't think more highly of pigs than of people. Often Jesus would ask those he healed to be quiet about the healing. But he urged this man to return to his family and tell them what God had done for him. Why? Well, number one, Jesus knew the man would be an effective witness to those who knew his previous condition and could attest to the miraculous healing. And number two, Jesus wanted to expand his ministry by introducing his message into this Gentile area. And number three, Jesus knew that the Gentiles, since they were not expecting a Messiah, would not divert his ministry by trying to crown him king. In fact, the people in this region had asked him to go away. When God touches your life, don't be afraid to share the wonderful events with your family and friends. And now let's begin our narrative today, here in the New Testament. March 29th, the New Testament. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 39. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown! When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly, the storm stopped, and all was calm. Then he asked them, Where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man, they asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey him. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, A man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man, 
even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, What is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the deep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. The crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed, and all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home, saying, No, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Psalm 70, verses 1 through 5. When others disappoint and threaten us, we feel empty, as though a vital part of ourselves has been stolen. When others break the trust we've placed in them, they also break our spirits. At those empty, broken moments, we must join the writer of the Psalms in begging God to rush to our aid. He alone can fill our lives with His joy, His power. With the Psalm writer, we should cry out, O Lord, do not delay. Well, this short Psalm that we'll read here in a moment was David's plea for God to come quickly with His help. Yet, even in his moment of panic, he did not forget praise. Praise is important because it helps us remember who God is. Often our prayers are filled with requests for ourselves and others, and we forget to just thank God for what He's done and worship Him for who He is. Don't take God for granted and treat Him as a vending machine. Even when David was afraid, he praised God. Psalm 70 Verses 1-5 through five, For the choir director, a psalm of David, asking God to remember him. Please, God, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to kill me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame, for they said, Aha! We've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, God is great! But as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my Savior. O Lord, do not delay. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. A worthy wife 
is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. Hello, Refuge. Uh, my name is Dana Harbin, and I'm here to give a little bit of my testimony. Uh, in Scripture, it says that our testimony is to tell people of the night and day change, how we went from being rejected to being accepted by the Lord. And, you know, at this point in my walk with God, it's hard to see the outward evidence of the work that the Lord's been doing in my heart, but uh, He's changed me a lot in my heart as far as uh, cleaning up the, 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 the infestation I had with uh, guilt and shame and rejection, uh, unforgiveness, uh, pride, arrogance, ego. Uh, those are all things that I've diligently uh, seeked through God's Word on how to get rid of and not only get rid of, but to replace. Because when you take something away, you have to bring something back into it. There can't be an empty void there. So, you know, I'm about to come into a season where all the hard work I've put in over the last couple of years is going to start bearing fruit, not only in my life, but in other people's lives. And, you know, my testimony is, is that if you're true to yourself and you get into God's word and you apply it in your life, and you just live one day at a time, that change will come. And you have to come to the understanding that it doesn't happen overnight. You know, for someone like me who've been planting weeds for decades, you know, it took me a little bit longer. But, you know, I'm excited about my future, and, you know, I'm glad to be a part of the refuge. And, you know, I'll be around here for a little while. Uh, but I love you guys, and, you know, to stay in God's Word, dig deep and press in, and just be obedient. Good morning, man. It's Pastor Delaney, and I'm recording this the Wednesday prior to Friday, Good Friday, and prior to Easter Sunday. And I wanted to share um, a little chapter from a book by Max Licato called He Chose the Nails, and I wanted to uh, actually just share from the fourth chapter of the book of what God's promise was in the nails that nailed Jesus to the cross. For God's promise is in the nails. Max quotes Colossians 2:13 and 14 where he says I forgave all our sin he forgave all our sins he canceled the debt which listed all the rules we failed to follow he took away that record with its rules and nailed it to the cross Max then goes on to quote from a gentleman named John Calvin he says when we say grace is procured for us by the merit of Christ we intend that we have been purified by his blood and that his death was the explanation for our sins. For Romans 3 says it this way, there's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as the sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. For all at once, sin is atoned for at the cross. The entire fall, and I'll add this to my piece of this, 
our entire fall and the falls that we will continue to make are erased. The whole obligation to Satan and the entire sentence passed upon the fall is torn up, it's canceled, and it's annulled by the nails of Jesus. Max goes on to say in his book, he says it this way. He says, he never should have asked me to keep the list. I dread showing it to him. He's a skilled builder, a fine friend. He's built us a great house, but the house has a few mistakes. Until this week, I didn't see them. But then again, until this week, I didn't live in the house. And once you take up residence in a place, why well, you see every flaw. Make a list of them, he told me. If you say so, I thought. Well, I got a bedroom door that won't lock, a storage room window that's cracked, and someone forgot to install towel racks in the girls' bathroom, and someone else forgot the knobs on the den door. As I said, the house is nice, but the list is growing. Looking at the list of the builder's mistakes caused me to think about God making a list of mine. After all, hasn't he taken up residence in my heart and in your heart too, guys? And if I see the flaws in my house, imagine what he sees in me. Imagine what he sees in us. How dare we think of the list he could compile. For the door hinges to the prayer room have grown rusty from underuse. The stove called jealousy, well, it's overheating. The attic floor is weighted with too many regrets. The cellar is cluttered with too many secrets. And won't someone raise the shutter and chase the pessimism out of his heart to the list of our weaknesses? Would you like anyone to see yours? Would you like them made public? How would you feel if they were posted? How would you feel if they were posted high so that everyone, including Christ himself, could see? May I take you to the moment it was... Yes, there is the list of your failures. Christ has chronicled your shortcomings, and yes, that list has been made public, but you've never seen it. Neither have I, because I want you to come to me, Max says, to the hill of Calvary, and I'll tell you why. See, so watch as the, as the soldier shoved the carpenter to the ground and stretches his arms against the beams. One presses a knee against a forearm and a spike against a hand, and Jesus turns his face toward the nail just as the soldier lifts the hammer to strike it. Couldn't Jesus have stopped him with a flex of the bicep, a clench of the fist he could have resisted? Is this not the same hand that stilled the sea, cleansed the temple, summoned the dead, but the fist doesn't clench? At that moment, it isn't aborted. The mallet brings and the skin rips and the blood begins to drip and rush and the questions follow. Why? Why didn't Jesus resist? Well, because he loved us, we reply. That is true, wonderfully true, but forgive me, only partially true. It's only partially true. But there's one more reason. He saw something that made him stay. As the soldier soldier pressed his arm, Jesus rolled his head to the side, and with his cheek resting on the wood, he saw a mallet, yes, a nail, yes, the soldier's hand, yes, but he saw something else. He saw the hand of God. It appeared to be the hand of a man, long fingers of a woodworker, callous palms of a carpenter. It appeared common. It was, however, anything but. These fingers formed Adam out of clay and furrowed truth into tablets with a wave. His hand topped Babel's tower. 
and split the Red Sea, and from this hand flew the locust that played Egypt and the raven that fed Elijah. Is it any wonder the psalmist celebrated liberation by declaring, You drove nations with your hand, it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, as Psalm 44 puts it. The hand of God is a mighty hand. Oh, the hands of Jesus. Hands of incarnation at his birth, hands of liberation that he healed, hands of inspiration as he taught, hands of declaration as he served, and hands of salvation as he died. This is why he refused to close his fist. What kept him from resisting? This warrant, the tabulation of your failures. He knew the price of those sins was death. He knew the source of those sins was you. And since he couldn't bear the thought of eternity without you, pay attention to that. Men, pay attention to that today. And since he, Jesus, couldn't bear the thought of eternity without you, he chose the nails. The hand squeezing the handle was not a Roman infantryman. The force behind the hammer was not an angry mob. The verdict behind the death was not decided by jealous Jews. Jesus himself chose the nail, so the hands of Jesus opened up. Had the soldier hesitated, Jesus himself would have swung the mallet. He knew how. He was no stranger to driving nails. He was a carpenter. He knew what it took. And as a savior, he knew what it meant. He knew that the purpose of the nail was to place your sins where they could be hidden by his sacrifice, covered by his blood. So Jesus himself swung the hammer. Oh, the stain, the same hand that stilled the sea stills your guilt. Same hand that cleansed the temple cleanses your heart. The hand is the hand of God. The nail is the nail of God. And as Jesus opened his hands, he opened his hands for the nail. Oh, the doors of heaven, they opened for you. I want you guys to think about that. You probably thought about it Friday if you're getting this a little after the crucifixion day of Good Friday or maybe after Easter Sunday. But I really want you to grab a hold of that. That those hands that were nailed, Jesus opened them to receive those nails so that he could usher you with those same hands guiding you toward heaven. Have a great week, guys. Appreciate all of you so much. God bless you. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous.
This concludes today's broadcast. I pray that everyone who tuned in today was blessed by what they heard, and I hope you all have a wonderful day.